0: This is the terrifying possession of 16-year-old Elizabeth Knapp. Elizabeth Knapp's case was both unique and strange in that rather than Elizabeth being condemned as a witch and executed as many others were in colonial America, her condition was assessed and meticulously documented by a wealthy preacher named Samuel Willard from Monday, October 30th, 1671 until January 12th, 1672. Willard assessed Elizabeth's so-called possession from a thoughtful and scientific viewpoint, which was practically unheard of in 17th century Puritan New England. And Willard is the reason we know so much about Elizabeth's strange behavior, even though it occurred nearly 400 years ago. Willard also sent letters to the Puritan minister, Cotton Mather, who was one of the most important intellectual figures in colonial America and was the author Magnalia Christi Americana and other works of history, which amongst other things, documented the Salem witch trials, in which he criticized some of the methods of the court and attempted to distance himself from the event. Mather also published an account of Elizabeth Knapp's possession. Let's take a look at the story. Elizabeth Knapp was born on February 21, 1655 in Watertown, Massachusetts. She was the only daughter of James and Elizabeth Knapp, who were both UK immigrants who settled first in Watertown and then later in the new town of Groton where Elizabeth grew up. Elizabeth also had a brother who sadly died at a young age, so in effect, Elizabeth was an only child. At the age of 16, Elizabeth was employed by a wealthy Puritan preacher named Samuel Willard, where her duties included stoking the fires, cleaning, and caring for his young children. In October 1671, Elizabeth's parents started noticing her strange behavior. Often while walking alone, normally she would cry out for no apparent reason and would shriek at extremely inappropriate moments. On one occasion, during a church service, she burst out into hysterical laughter. Elizabeth offered various excuses for her behavior to try and avoid the punishment usually administered to children at that time but her parents were embarrassed and worried when her next outburst might occur. However, towards the end of that October, Elizabeth's behavior seemed to improve and they were hopeful she had turned a corner. But on October 30th, James came home from work and found his daughter shrieking on the floor with her hands around her own throat and her eyes rolled back in her head. She was screaming, I'm strangled. James quickly pulled his daughter's hands off of her throat and she fell back, laughing hysterically on the floor before falling asleep with exhaustion. That night, Elizabeth's parents carried her up to bed and her mother sat watching her for several hours as she slept. She began noticing a strange stoppage in her breathing that came and went. Her mother took comfort in this, believing her daughter may be unwell rather than under the influence of something more sinister. Elizabeth's mother knew only too well from her native England about demonic possession and what fate befell suspected witches. Witchcraft in the 17th century was not just an idle belief held by the superstitious. It was viewed as real by even the most educated and thoughtful people in the Anglo world at this time, who regarded the presence of witches as a sign of the wrath of God, and the cure for those suspected of witchcraft or possession was either expulsion or execution. The next morning, James checked to see that his daughter was still peacefully asleep before he went to work. He sent word to the Willard family that Elizabeth was ill and would not be in work that day and then went about his business. However, he couldn't concentrate and was troubled by his daughter's bizarre behavior and what it might mean. He figured the Reverend Willard might have some answers, although at the time, he was unable to contact Willard as he was visiting his father in another town. When he went home that evening, James told his wife he thought they should call a doctor. Elizabeth was sitting quietly on a stool in front of the fireplace. Her parents left her there and retired to bed, but just as they were about to drop off, they heard a loud crash. They ran from their beds to find Elizabeth writhing around on the floor. Her eyes rolled back in her head again, and her limbs thrashing and knocking into things. They rushed to hold her back as she rolled towards the fire, seemingly intent on throwing herself into it. It took all their strength to keep her away from the fire as she shrieked and clawed at their faces. Finally, she passed out from exhaustion and James and his wife put her to bed. They then sat talking in hushed tones, discussing what they could do to help their daughter as it seemed more and more likely that some demonic spirit had possessed their beloved child. As the days passed, Elizabeth's condition worsened and her fits took on a more intense and forceful nature It took James, his wife, and several friends who had been spending time watching over her to restrain her. In addition to her physical fits, Elizabeth began to cry out, money, money, sin, misery, along with other bizarre statements. Things got so bad, in fact, that it was decided that Reverend Willard should be summoned from the home of his father. Willard returned at once, on horseback, stopping at his house only to change clothes before making his way to the Knapp's residence. When he arrived, he found Elizabeth sitting quietly with her family. Willard asked Elizabeth what might be causing her behavior and she told him a wealthy neighbor or the devil in her likeness had come racing down the chimney wearing a riding hood two nights ago when she was sat by the fire and bewitched her with a spirit. It was this spirit that had caused her to thrash around on the floor. Willard knew the woman Elizabeth was referring to and very much doubted the accusation that she was making so much so that he later omitted her name from all documents to protect her innocence. In doing so, Willard was taking a step that was unprecedented in any previous witchcraft case and instead chose to focus his attention on the possessed girl instead of searching for and destroying the witch who was allegedly causing her problems. The next day, after more questioning from Willard, Elizabeth broke down and admitted that the devil had frequently appeared before her in the past three years and offered her money, silks, fine clothes, ease from her labor, and other items of youthful fancy. The devil would most often appear after work in the evenings during her walk home from the Willands. These meetings had initially been infrequent, but had recently become a daily occurrence, and she could scarcely go from one room to the next without seeing him. Elizabeth also claimed that on several occasions, she saw two persons walking around her and a man floating around her bed, More worryingly, Elizabeth claimed that while at work at the Willards, the devil had constantly tempted her to murder her parents, her neighbors, and the Willards' children, and she had been particularly tempted to throw the youngest child, for whom she was responsible, into the fire on the hearth and into the oven. She confessed that the devil had one time commanded her to murder Reverend Willard in his sleep when she was working there late, and that she found herself on the stairs to his bedroom with a hook in her hand, only to be jarred out of her murderous trance by the Reverend, who was still awake. Elizabeth swore that she had never entered into any covenant and that she had resisted the devil and that his visits were horrible and unpleasurable. Over the next few days, Willard continued to visit Elizabeth, but it became apparent that his appearance caused her to lapse into horrible fits and she would shake violently with her eyes rolled upwards and half closed, sometimes calling out money and other such words, just like before. Finally, in desperation, on November 5th, Willard called in a doctor who proclaimed her illness to be of natural cause, resulting from distemper in the stomach, and he recommended fasting. For the next month and a half, Elizabeth was practically confined to bed and was often taken with horrible fits that would last up to 48 hours. She repeatedly confessed encounters with the devil, who took the forms of an old man, a dog, and a black knife, among other items, and announced her desire to turn back to God and banish these temptations once and for all. Reverend Willard was confused, and at times he felt that Elizabeth might be faking her possession, and that she was merely sick, while at other times the immense strength of her movements during the fits convinced him otherwise, and he could think of no other explanation apart from the fact she was indeed possessed by the devil. Elizabeth's fits had subsided slightly and her mother allowed her to venture outside and on her travels, she stopped by the Willard home. But whilst talking casually with the Willards, she suddenly pulled back and reared up on her tiptoes with her eyes rolled upwards. Willard reported that the devil had clearly taken possession of her at this point and began to draw her tongue out of her mouth in a long, sinuous S-shape that was remarkable in its length and greatness. Elizabeth screamed that her father and mother were both evil rogues, and began to contort her body in impossible shapes. Then in a long, grim voice, through lips that did not move, she apparently said to Willard, "'Oh, you are the greatest rogue.' Willard and others that witnessed the episode collapsed to their knees and began to pray to God for strength and salvation from this horrible apparition. Willard called out, "'Satan, thou art a liar and a deceiver,' and God will vindicate his own truth this one day. The devil responded through Elizabeth and apparently said, I am not Satan, I am nothing more than a pretty boy. This is my pretty girl, I have been here a great while. After that, Elizabeth apparently collapsed and the devil left her and those present prayed over her. This was the last entry in Words' book and was dated January 12th, 1672, although it's believed the incident happened in December 1671. After the incident, there was a formal inquiry by the magistrates in which she confessed her sins. Elizabeth claimed that she had been assaulted by the devil on various occasions, and she made a pact with him and allowed him into her bed. She said that the night before the incident, the devil entered into her mouth and was still inside of her for several weeks after the incident. Elizabeth was later cleared of any wrongdoing and went on to marry a man named Mr. Philbrick, and as far as anyone knows, lived an unremarkable life. After word of the strange case spread throughout the colony, Reverend Willard sought to drive the town towards a positive resolution of the experience in his weekly sermons. However, his compassion was not heeded by other ministers and could not save the 19 victims of the witch trials in Salem that occurred 20 years later. It's likely that there were other documents pertaining to Elizabeth's case that were lost five years after the incident, when the Waymasit Indians raged through the Groton, burning the homes of Knapp, Willard, and all but two townspeople and driving the surviving residents to the better protected and more centrally located town of Concord until Groton could be rebuilt. Willard, however, would never return to Groton. What is certain is that Willard most definitely saved Elizabeth's life by working with her, talking to her daily and refusing to fall into the dogmatic fear of the time that caused the death of dozens and the imprisonment of hundreds of others at the peak of the colony's witch frenzy. In Reverend Willard's conclusions, he concluded his writings with four points in which he gave his opinions about the validity of Elizabeth Knapp's possession. In the first point, he stated that Knapp's condition in no way could be counterfeit on the grounds that it was physically impossible to fake such actions. The second point refers to whether or not her rage was natural or demonic, in which he stated, because of the length of her convulsions and the strength of her fits, he believed them to be demonic. In the third point he concluded that even though many were skeptical of the fact that the devil talks through the girl, he was convinced. He stated on several occasions, she spoke with her mouth closed. Her throat would swell up like a balloon and the voices that he heard were not her own. However, in the fourth point, he said he had a strong doubt that Knapp was making a pact with the devil. This is because she was so inconsistent about the facts and what happened in her supposed meetings with the devil. In closing, we'd like to take a look at a possible modern-day explanation for what happened to Elizabeth Knapp. With the hindsight of modern medicine, it's been theorized that Elizabeth was afflicted with adult-onset chorea, also known as Huntington's disease. The disease caused the selective deterioration of certain movements related to structures deep inside the brain. The symptoms of the disease, which often first appear around puberty, include excessive, spontaneous, irregular movements of the limbs, that flow from one part of the body to the other that worsen over time, sometimes leading to neurological deterioration, including apathy, irritability, memory loss, manic depression, and schizophrenia. Sleep is usually the only time when a sufferer is not vulnerable to fits. Those afflicted invariably die 10 to 25 years after the onset of the disease. Since the 16th century, Koreaks have been labeled everything from saints to witches due to the actions caused by their affliction. It does seem plausible that Elizabeth was suffering from some sort of medical condition, although what happened to her after her marriage is something of a historical mystery. However, her case lives on and over the years has been cited as an example of either possession or unknown illness by various historians. One thing we can say for sure is the accounts of her possible possession bore a striking resemblance to those that were seen in Salem some 20 years later and serve as an insight into Puritan life and society at that time. What's your thoughts on Elizabeth Knapp's supposed possession